Welcome to the Bloody Broads Pod. We're your Bloody Broads. I'm Bhavna Sharma. And I'm Jamie Howard. We are your horror guides from page to screen and everything in between. This week, we're covering Stephen King's novel Revival with a very special guest, and I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, my name is Jocelyn. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to chat about Revival today. Um, I just finished it last night, and I cannot wait to dive in. Yes, we're (laughs) so happy to have you. Yes, I also finished it today at 2 (laughs) p.m. Perfect. We're all fresh then. Yes. (laughs) um well we're so happy to have you on Jocelyn like we know you're an avid reader and you've kind of turned that into a bit of a nice little I don't know would you call it a hobby would you call it a side hustle would you call it I don't know creative outlet (laughs) I love that you brought that up because like I feel like I started out as a a hobby and now it's turned into this like massive passion project where (laughs) um yeah, so for people who might not know, like I, I have a Bookstagram account. I started two, just over two years ago, and mm-hmm. like I had no idea what to expect when I started it, and now it's turned into this massive like passion project slash side hustle. I don't really know if it's a side hustle, but just this big passion project that I could not have foreseen turning into what it is. So yes, <laughs> uh, it's honestly been like so nice to see it like blow up and like you just being in your element. It's great. And Thank we're you. just so happy to have you on because I mean, your reviews are top notch. Um, yes, I enjoy every single one of them. <laughs> no, and it's so exciting listening. because I love to read and I, and I love connecting with people who love to read. So getting to chat and just dive into a book with you guys. I'm, I'm super stoked about Yes. And for you uh, listeners out there, I've known Jocelyn for a very long time and she has never steered me wrong with a book recommendation. She's like a wizard. Like, I just go like, I need to hear. (laughs) Yes. I go like, I just need to read something. Tell me what to read. And she will point me in the right direction for what I like. So for all your book recommendations. (laughs) That's like a book lover's like favorite thing to hear. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but yes, today we are covering Stephen King's revival. Uh, this has become a bit of a cult hit amongst, I guess, the horror community and Stephen King fans themselves. It's also been in production hell. If you've, uh, are a horror fan and you've followed the drama that's gone along with it, trying to be adapted. Um, but, uh, we're happy to be covering it today. And Jocelyn, what were your first thoughts on the novel? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And um, it wasn't like a horror novel, like how I expected it to be, which I think made it that much more intriguing because, you know, Stephen King's got his typical horror novels that people will gravitate towards too, that he's known for. Um, But I think Revival was almost more like a psychological horror. And to me, those are the ones that stick with me the most um, the ones that really just kind of get under my skin the most. And, um, you know, Stephen King, he's a great storyteller. Revival was no different. I always felt invested in, in the stories and in, in the characters. And, um, you know, I, I feel like Jamie was such a great character and seeing his character grow throughout. Um, I just, Stephen King's always so great at that and, and Jamie was no different. So definitely not what I expected it to be. And I kept, you know, going through and be like, where, like, what, how is this a horror novel? Like, I, I don't get it. Um, not that Wait it wasn't good. I liked it, but I was like, this is not what you think of when you think of a horror novel. And I, yeah. so when I finished it, I was like, okay, now I understand why you chose it because it's not your, your typical horror book. I keep feeling like I'm repeating myself, but you know what I mean, right? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. That's exactly it. What about you, Jamie? I mean, Jocelyn kind of took the words out of my mouth that like you start this book and you're like, okay, when's it going to get scary? And then the ending just like bitch slaps you yes. um, in the best possible way. But the beginning, the first, like, I want to say four ish chapters maybe are such a lure for mm-hmm. Stephen King fans. And then to, to kind of, you know, bring us into that shocking back. of the book because it's all the Stephen King hallmarks, right? Like it's a small town in Maine. It's a nuclear family. That's really tight knit. It's about the little boy. There's a pastor. And then honestly, the, one of the most affecting scenes for me was 
the pastor's wife and son being in that horrific car accident because the way that my like intrusive thoughts work, all I could <laughs> picture was what her face would actually look like if it was really in that accident. Yeah. And I almost passed out reading it because I was so, I like swooned. I was like, oh, this is too much. Um, And then of course, you know, we get the horrific scene of him going in and saying like, I want to see my wife and child at the funeral home, but they're not done being embalmed yet. And I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine wanting to see a family member in that state, no matter how you know, close I am to them. Um, And then of course, kind of what you said, Jocelyn, the ending really being more of a, I call it a cosmic horror, even though it's not Mm. outer space. Yeah. Um, It's an existential horror. Yes. But all I could think about was, you know, Buddhist monks literally meditate on their own death. Like they literally meditate on their own body decaying and then eventually becoming just bone. And it's, that's what the last couple of chapters of this book were for me is like peering into behind the curtain. But I do want to say, I fully hope that whatever is there after we pass away is not gigantic ants that work for a giant claw <laughs> called the mother. Um, yeah. That horrified me on another level because it's hopeless. Yeah. And Bhavna knows mm-hmm. a lot of times in the podcast, we say that horror is the inevitable. So there's a train coming and you can't stop it you know, there's an ending coming and you can't stop it. And to just know that the only thing after we die would be this oblivion where we're slaves. It's like the most depressing concept. A giant mother worker ant. Right. (laughs) And like, right. And I was like, okay, girl boss ending, Stephen King. (laughs) Girl boss ending. (laughs) What is happening? Um, But yeah, I think the imagery in this book for me is absolutely some of his most bizarre I think overall Mm -hmm. his his most bizarre novel it felt like he took the cosmic aspects of it and then set it in small town church life um and I could absolutely picture as with any Stephen King book I can absolutely picture the big bad like whether that's it or um you know the vampires in several different of his short stories and novels whatever it is I can picture it perfectly and so as someone who is incredibly existential, but also terrified of bugs in general, this, oh, oh, I had the ending just, I had to like yeah. go play The Sims for like an hour after I finished <laughs> it to like dissociate from the ending. Um, yeah. Honestly, I love this book. I love that there's Western elements. I love that there's small town mm-hmm. Americana elements. And I love, love, love some existential horror. So for me, this was like, top tier Stephen King and I'm glad that it's got this like cult following now (laughs) yes um you guys took the words out of my mouth um I feel exactly the same way like I this book um went under my radar for Stephen King and like you both know me pretty well so you guys know that I am a massive Uncle Steve fan yeah (laughs) um and I rarely ever miss his books like I may not read all of them but like I know they exist I know the new ones when they're coming (laughs) out out there (laughs) You're out there. Yeah. This one I completely missed. And I was um I was in New York about like I want to say about five years ago when yeah, yeah, I bought my copy about five years ago. And uh, one of my friends I was hanging out with, she's a librarian, and like I was going through the strand and I'm like, there's too many books. There's too many books in here. And I, I'm pretty sure both I know Jocelyn's been to the strand. I don't know if you I was just any, there, like, yes, like three weeks yeah. ago. <laughs> <laughs> it is I could live there. I could live there. Um, but there's just so many books and I'm going like, ah, I don't know what to get. I don't know what to get. And then Chelsea looked, uh, my friend Chelsea looked at like uh, the, the bar, not the bargain bin, but basically the used little cart that they have. And she's like this, she's like, get this, read this. It's great. And I'm like, how did I miss a Stephen King book? Okay. Six. What was it? It was six ninety five. Oh my so God. I'm like, you know what? Six ninety five. new Stephen King. Let's go. Um, and it blew my mind because I've read so much King and this is so different yet. So similar to everything, the Easter eggs in here for King fans, like yeah. the obvious ones and not so obvious ones, just like he's gotten so much better at character arcs. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yeah. He did not rush this one, but I also didn't feel like I was dragging along for like some of his novels. They drag. 
they drag a lot. This, we've talked about this before on the pod where like I greatly prefer his short stories or his novellas to his novels. But in this one, I was hooked on Jamie's story. Yeah. Like I didn't even care about the pastor part. I didn't even care about the existential horror part of it. I was like, what are you doing, Jamie? How did you end up here? What is your life like? you know, as like just focusing, I focusing on like the one kid of this giant family. Like yeah. I forget he's the baby of the family. Right? I think, he's the, I think yeah. he was the youngest one. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like to focus on like the life of like one kid who's a part of a big family. I found that part pretty fascinating. Like I don't have a massive family by any means, especially not as big as his family, but like, you know, it was, it was just really nice to read something that was just good from beginning to end. And I didn't feel at any point where I was like bored with the story either. So I agree with you. And I think the thing with like Stephen King novels as is that, you know, most of them are like giant beasts of novels. So for King to have a 400 page novel is like, oh, that's that's short. That's that's a Stephen yeah. King novella, basically. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know? So yeah. I um, it definitely felt it was very easy to absorb start to finish. And there were no. I feel like downtimes in the novel where you're like, okay, like speed it up. Like what's going on? Like I'm getting bored of this. Um, I mean, yeah. I always feel like in instinct in a King's longer novels that I've read, like 11, 22, 63, for example, where, yeah, yeah like, there's like some downtimes in that novel. Um, you're kind of like, okay, like. That's exactly which one I was going to bring up as an example. (laughs) I was like, that book took me four months to read because I was like, get get to specific parts of it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, Uncle Steven, let's read it. And if like you want to compare it, like uh, Firestarter by Joe Hill is equally as long as 11, 22, 63, but that one didn't bore me for a fucking second. Like, (laughs) you can have a long book and be good, or you can have a long book and want to like, take a nap <laughs> yeah I mean I feel like I'm, I I'm getting off track with 11 63 but I, I that's one of my favorite novels but and I, and I understand why yeah. there's some down periods I guess and it still kept me invested but I feel like with revival it was like yeah like I said there was just no time where you felt like things were dragging and like Bhavna yeah. said Jamie's story was so intriguing and you know Maybe, I don't know if maybe, maybe Stephen King explored this in the novel, but just why he got so into, into like heroin and stuff, like what, mm-hmm. what that was, like, you know, he, he wasn't going to like, you know, he, he made those illusions, you know, but then he, then he did. So like, I, I just, that's one thing I wish maybe like, yeah, what, what did he get into the drugs for? Like, was there, maybe it was just because things were so fucked up that that was a coping mechanism. I don't know. Yeah, it. I've always wondered that too, because this was my second, you know, read through uh, recently. Um, and it just reminded me of, I think, a lot of guys who were born into like, you know, pretty comfortable middle class. Because he does say that, like, as they got older, his family got more wealthy. Obviously, mm-hmm. it talks at great length about his dad's uh, business kind of not going so great a couple seasons. Um, but, you know, he's paying his way through college. He's working this job. He joins the band, drops out, whatever. Has and, a motorcycle accident. Yeah, has the motorcycle accident. Yeah. And I think the motorcycle accident story for me was just representative of the opioid crisis in America in general. How it's yeah, so Yeah, that's true. Easy oh my gosh, I totally to missed that. Yes. No, you're good. You're good. I mean, listen, Bhavna has heard me say this. People <laughs> that listen to the podcast have heard me say this. The only reason I pick up on addiction themes so easily is because I have a lot of addicts in my family, <laughs> former addicts. Um, and it was really interesting to see, you know, someone who had an otherwise fairly comfortable life kind of let the drug take him over. And yeah. I, yeah. it really just gut punched me in the same way that the scene um, from, oh my gosh, Bob, I'm blinking out uh, with grown up, the Shining, we have to edit Oh, this with um, Dan and... We're going to start this over. Yep. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing too much. So the story of Jamie and his heroine reminded me so much of grown-up Dan in Dr. Sleep. You know, mm-hmm. it opens with him robbing this girl blind after he's left her drunk with her, you know, toddler's diaper full. Um, because he needs money for more drugs. And... And to get out of town, you know, get away from her. But I think there's two things 
that Stephen King will write about that I will always read. It's one is addiction and the second is religion. Mm-hmm. Um, Boston, you got a Boston two for one knows. on this one. <laughs> yeah, I got two for one, you guys. <laughs> um, and Jack, I, Jocelyn, I have to tell you, I bring this up so often that I'm sure people listening are like, here she goes again. Uh, I was raised so evangelical that people in our church thought the rapture was happening on Y2K. And so for me to, yeah, for me to read anything with religious trauma, I'm immediately like, let's get into it. Like me, you, same buddy. Like I, I love it. I eat it up. So I loved that there was this bent of, you know, science becoming his God after mm-hmm. he left the pastor life behind and this yeah. idea of a secret electricity, which just chef's kiss killed me the whole yeah. time. Every time he mentioned it, I just pictured him. Al <laughs> Dinkelberg says fairy godparents and fairly odd parents, <laughs> but secret electricity. Like secret that's electricity. how I, yeah, that's how I pictured him <laughs> saying it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Reverend Jacobs just, I pictured of course, um, because of, Mike Flanagan's most recent show, I only yeah. pictured that actor as Reverend Jacobs, but I don't know who would play him now. Um, yeah. It just works so well in my mind. But anyways, yeah. yeah. Um, just, oh my God. Um, what I really liked about this this novel was just like that it's such a detailed journey of like grief, loss, mm-hmm. obsession, all at the same time affecting yeah. everybody. Like basically like, how how you know like how low can you go like with everything (laughs) (laughs) you know like uh, like you said like the scene where he wants to see his the the reverend wants to see his wife and child after they've been horrifically mauled in this car accident which was oddly super graphic yet not graphic at the same time yeah right like like i think it was was it the kid's face that was basically half torn off yeah yeah I mean, oh. of course, in modern times, I read that and I'm like, listen, I know this was set in like the late 50s, early 60s, but surely she would have survived. Like, that's it. Surely she would have lived through that. But I guess, you know, again, the idea of small town life and things moving at a slower pace and yeah, people forget that ambulances back then were literally just like kitted out station wagons, literally yeah, they were exactly. just station wagons. Like, yeah, they had maybe like about a bag of saline, maybe. <laughs> can you imagine like getting severely injured and having to lay flat in like an old 60s station wagon and then being like, don't worry, kid, we're going to get you to the hospital. Like, absolutely not. Absolutely With basically Fisher Price hospital gear. Oh my gosh, seriously. <laughs> like it's that Fisher Price doctor's kit that you get when you're a kid, except it was legit. I mean, if nothing else, at least they would pump you full of, like, lithium first, you know? Like, right. you, you won't care that you're dying. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, here's a bunch of morphine. We don't know the side effects yet. Right. Here you go. Right. <laughs> uh, maybe a lifelong heroin addiction as a side effect, but yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just, I think sort of how we watch, you know, the Morton family, in addition to the Jacobs family deal with the loss of Claire and her ex-husband beating the shit out of oh, her yeah. and then shooting her. Yeah. That is wild. Uh, that was a subplot that I did not see coming at all. Same. And I, think, I just yeah. think he does such a great job in so many of his novels and his short stories of weaving the horrific into everyday life because he didn't yeah. need the ant gods to like come get Claire he just needed her horrible monster husband Yeah, who, you know, that happens to so many women every day in America. Yeah. Just, you know, it's wild to me to watch the way that two very completely different sets of people grieve. Like you said, Bob, mm-hmm. like yeah. watching Reverend Jacobs become this like carny sideshow showman, mad scientist was equally as wild as the Morton family, his family, not yeah. even acknowledging Claire for years and years and years and years. Like, yeah. What? Like, like, don't even bring up Claire. Don't bring up Claire. Don't do it. Don't fucking bring up Claire. Yeah. It is interesting how like grief is so different for everybody. 
and Mm -hmm. there's unless you're kind of going through it like yourself like there's there's no really like right or wrong way to go through it even though it might not make sense to anybody else outside of it like it's so hard to explain and I mean not that I condone anything that was like done by like the reverend because like he completely went off the rails but you know you have to what like he literally just like went insane and it just goes to show like how how much that the loss of his wife and child like pretty much fucked him up and you know just how do you how do you go on after that like how do you how do you carry on after such trauma like it's 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 just devastating it is and it's like none of us are strangers to that kind of grief or that kind Mm -hmm. of loss either like i i know both of you and i know you guys aren't and you guys know that definitely i'm not this year was a bit of a whammy um no one should ever have to go to like two and a half funerals um in one calendar year yeah people that you love um and it's like it's weird seeing how people uh, deal with grief differently and it's very interesting to see when stuff like this happens how quickly um people turn judgmental as well like you do yeah. see that in this yes. book but like in real life as well people will start policing your grief yes and like start doing um stuff like that which i know both of you aren't strangers to either where it's like either you're accept you're expected to be a sobbing grieving mess for a societally acceptable amount of time which mm-hmm. no one will ever tell you how long that is or right. like if you're someone like me where like you don't necessarily you're a stronger person not strong that's the wrong word to use but you're someone where it doesn't hit you first you'd rather be a caretaker in the moment and you'd yeah. rather help other people and uh, you're i'm very distraction based myself i would rather be distracted from the matter at hand rather than having to sit and think about it because that's how i'm going to get through it without becoming a blubbering mess which i don't want to be which i want to be on my own time by myself like i don't need to have people around me while my mascara runs i totally you know? agree with you yeah so it's like and then you become judgmental because it's like oh she hasn't cried or like oh they haven't like you know you haven't expressed uh, an appropriate amount of you know grief over the loss that you've experienced and in this book like you can see that from the terrible sermon mm-hmm. the quote-unquote terrible sermon like did they not think he was gonna fall the fuck apart like well, okay. he was too soon <laughs> i'm so glad you also wanted to talk about this because i thought it was gonna be way worse than it actually <laughs> was when yeah, he said terrible same. sermon i was like oh no he's gonna say that like i couldn't even think of something specific that he was going to say but I thought maybe he was going to start I don't know cussing because it was the early 60s and, like, oh, <laughs> and they're and but they're like, Methodist <laughs> yeah like I don't know I'm yeah. again raised Southern Baptist so it was very different but like when he just said God's basically not real you know <laughs> I think more than anything the most reaction he would have gotten out of people maybe would have been a couple people walking out or a couple people telling him to stop more or less what happened in the book but I don't I don't know I just think that Jamie calling it the terrible sermon was kind of overselling it a little bit personally um I mean he was like what like seven eight yeah (laughs) he was eight I think but I do love uh his mom's response which was just to take you know Reverend Jacob's Thanksgiving dinner because who else was gonna do it and who else was gonna yeah speak with him and be associated with him and it helped they were neighbors literally but that's that's the part that's so horrible that's where like the entire town just judged him like okay they were all there for him because of how his family died and then the one moment he chooses to break down in public is when you turn your back on your beliefs of like what is it like help thy neighbor i mean, love thy know. neighbor or whatever <laughs> love thy yeah. neighbor yeah i'm a well i'm a dirty pagan I- so i don't know these <laughs> things <laughs> <laughs> i do love that he eventually turns his former life as a pastor into his hustle. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that he becomes this sideshow carny. I pictured him as kind of like a, a male Tammy Faye Baker. Yes. Where, yes. Oh, listen, <laughs> Tammy Faye in my book, it was a wonderful woman regardless. Like I 
really like her. Yes. (laughs) But I love that he was like, you know, these poor schmucks think I'm using the power of God, air quotes, to heal them. But he has these like superhero rings that he puts on the side of people's heads and it makes them pass out for a second. Uh, I don't know. I just find it very interesting the way this book moves in cyclical Mm -hmm. stories and how it's almost like a tornado where you start outward and then the closer you get to the ending of the book, the closer you get to the nexus of everything, the tighter Mm -hmm. the story becomes, the tighter the circle becomes. And we're revisiting the same themes every, I want to say two or three chapters yeah, and every section of Jamie's life, but it's a different speed. It's a different kind of, you know, storm that we're experiencing. The part that I wanted to see more of was his life at the recording studio farm. I love that we yes. got a good bit of that. But I, I don't know. Does I was just super interested in it. I was like, wow. And he sleeps with the younger woman. I was like, okay. Good for <laughs> yeah. You. Honestly, that's my only note on this novel was like, we didn't really need to have them sleep together. We, we could have had another like Holly Gibney kind of thing where, you know, you know, they're just pals and yeah. doing yeah. it. Like not doing it. Oh my god! I mean, like doing the research. The research. What you just said. The research, not the sexy times. I mean, listen. We knew Stephen was gonna put some kind of self-insert fanfic chapter into his book. Hundred (laughs) percent. Tabitha, what do you think? Yeah, where's Tab? Can she weigh in on this? (laughs) She proves all his novels, but yeah, at at least it wasn't children in a. Storm drain this time. Uh Yeah. Uh Uh, Bob, before we get too far down into the rabbit hole of (laughs) our other references and things, I'm feeling like we might need to take a quick commercial break. I think that's a great idea. Uh, Guys, stay tuned for some more free thoughts. Alrighty, so welcome back. Um, the next thing I kind of wanted to bring up was the foreshadowing throughout about the monster ants and like the bug imagery throughout, like specifically ants. Like first you get, first off, uh, the first time the Reverend ever meets uh, young Jamie, he tells him how to make his like, sold his toy soldiers into like a pincer formation. Oh, and yes. like, yeah, that's not something I picked up the first time I read it. This is the second time I've read it. And like, it's, I was like, pincers, huh? Like ants? <laughs> like ants have pincers? Clever. All I can think of is the scene from Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. Literally. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so he shows him that and I'm like, hmm, okay, okay. And then I was like, wait, were there more? And that I didn't pick up on my first time? And yes, there were. Oh. Uh, were Jamie's dreams that he has of his family where he sees all the dead members of his family? Oh my gosh, Uh, yes. Yep, and the birthday cake that's all rotten and there's ants all over them and all over their bodies. Sign number, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now I'm just getting wigged out. (laughs) Yeah, and then obviously the most obvious one was Hugh's, was it prismatic that he called it? His prismatics, yeah. His prismatic where he sees everybody as the ants. Like during the the revival that they went to where he got so wigged out. Yeah. Honestly, every time Hugh described his prismatics, I was like, dude, you just dropped LSD back in the day and you're having a flashback. Like, that's <laughs> the whole vibe. Um, I've never done that, but I have friends and family who have. And yeah, it's just so funny to me that he, of all things, like, why ants, you guys? Like, why? I don't know. Is there something that I, don't, I missed? I know. I'm trying <laughs> to think, like, if there's, like, some kind of symbolism there. Like, yeah, I can't there- think of it. I think Other- the King cast guys asked Stephen King that like yes. on their they on their podcast. I think they asked him that because they got to interview him and he's just like they're like basically I think they were asking like if he was religious or whatever and he's just like mm. <laughs> ants. <laughs> I mean the only like bigger picture I could think of is that we're all kind of ants in our own ant hills. You know? Yeah. Like I with could the see that. soldiers at the beginning of the book. Yeah. Um but we're not the ants in the afterlife. I want to know where the ants come from. It reminded me of the turtle and it. Yeah. Um, Just the idea that the universe is animals is really funny to me. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It just is. But the other references in this book that I think kind of not hit you over the head because Stephen King has been subtle with how he says these references, Mm -hmm. but they 
are referenced in um, a Goodreads interview and a Rolling Stone interview. Uh, he read a story called The Great God Pan in high school. And yeah. basically they were, the characters were trying to get a woman back from the dead. Um, but as other people know, and Bhavna knows this, I'm a huge Mary Shelley fan. Huge yeah. Frankenstein fan. Love Frankenstein. So I, listen, yeah. the original sci-fi girl boss, we love her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Iconic. Iconic. Uh, but I caught all the little, you know, references. Some of the characters were named Mary. Some of them mm. had mm-hmm. she- Shelly as their last name, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but also something I caught the second read that I did not catch the first time was uh, references to Lovecraft, which yeah. I, it's refer it's referenced in the style of horror that it is, but more direct references, I guess, that kind of threw me off. Um, I don't know. And then, of course, like uh, references to the Menlo Park experiments with the very first light bulb in America and in Philadelphia. Um I don't know. I'm a huge nerd, as you can hear, Jocelyn. Yeah, so it's, it's great. It's really, it's really interesting to me for him to put these little tidbits in, mm-hmm. not to be some kind of like you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Do you get it? <laughs> but to literally enrich the world of his storytelling. Yeah. Without it being J.K. Rowling style, when she calls the only Asian character Cho Chang, like yeah, yeah. Jocelyn. Yeah, I wish not. could see this. Jocelyn just rolled her eyes so hard. I'm pretty sure like the Earth's <laughs> axis just tilted a little bit. Like, <laughs> but do you guys know what I'm saying? Like, there's a difference yeah. between the Easter eggs being like, "Oh, I get it," and you don't. But then, and then references being enriching to the story. Um, I yeah. hope any of that made sense. <laughs> no, and like it definitely. You're totally right. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> oh no, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like. I haven't read all of Stephen King's novels. I think it's impossible to at this point. But, you know, my, my partner, he's read a lot of them. And, like, we talk about them quite a bit. And, yeah, like, he he's always referencing something from something else. And in, in the novels that I've read by him, I've started to notice that, too. Um, so I think this will be a book that I'll probably have to come back to at some point in the future. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much um yeah imagery there or or references that i probably didn't catch um in this read like you guys were mentioning and there were a lot of there there were the obvious self-references as well like so obviously castle rock is his made up yeah his made up town he's one of his two made up towns yeah in, Dar- in uh maine the other one's dairy dairy i don't think he mentioned i think he only he mentioned he does mention dairy in this one yeah okay. that's because he mentions dairy in every fucking every novel. book he does. Like, you know yeah. what it's literally it's every novel but he mentioned Joyland, which I really enjoyed. Mm. I was like, oh, yay, Joyland. Because I do like that novel as well. A uh, really quick read. Like, it's one of those, like, hits. It's only, like, 150 to 200 pages long or something. So it's really just, like, a, you know, sit down. For you, Jocelyn, probably done in, like, an hour. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, a chapter in one of his books. <laughs> yeah, I was exactly. going to say, listen, I have tried the dark tower series so many times bavna knows it is just yeah. not my flavor mine um, either i will yeah, never read finish. it i will finish eventually but yeah no i was gonna tell you jocelyn you should if you've read it before you should reread it and then read this but if you haven't read it read yeah. it and then go and back then, and reread and read this imagine <laughs> maybe i'm gonna read it in october i tried to read it last year i had it on my shelf so it's like 2009, and then I had like a paper, um, just like one of the pocket paperbacks of it, yeah, and it was yeah. like mm-hmm. too small. I'm like, I can't read the font. I got 200 pages in, so then I ordered a yep. different copy of it, of it literally, and <laughs> I'm like, okay, this year I'm finally gonna pick it up. And <laughs> how can you not say that though? <laughs> so right. yeah, I'm, I'm finally gonna like read the whole thing this year. Yeah, yeah. I was I was loving it. I just couldn't focus on it. That's fair. Like I'm listen, very like saying very dense. so much right now, but yeah. no, but listen, I, we've had so many episodes where we reference it because we've had so many Stephen King episodes and we have to emphasize 
it. Like you have to say yes. it in italics. <laughs> yeah. So it yeah. is so true. <laughs> I would also throw in the outsiders mm. just yes. for a nice, oh uh, a nice little mix to put it in this universe. And then you'll kind of get where we're coming from as well. I did. I did try one. to read that one last year as well. And then I just put it aside. It wasn't the right mood for it, but I want to get there. back to that one too. Cause I really want to watch is it, is it HBO series. I think yeah. it's a mini It's a, a limited series, yeah. Yeah, so I, I want to watch that too, so. Jason Bateman was Jason fucking Bateman. perfect. Yes. We do love Jay Bates. Fucking perfect. Who doesn't love Jason <laughs> Bateman, man? If you don't love him, get out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hot take, you heard that here first. <laughs> uh, yeah, I oh, just, man. this book in particular does what I think he does really well in it too, where it spans decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yes, there are other novels of his that do that, but I think these two in particular do it the best. And like, I could smell the carnival when Jamie mm-hmm. gets to the carnival. Do you know what I mean? Like I could feel the body heat and the revival tent of so many people just so desperate to be healed. And yeah. I do, I don't know. Like I just, I'm always drawn to the fact that his books are like almost extra sensory perception moments for me where I just connect to it so well. I realize I'm holding my hands up in my face and doing a motion that people listening can't see. Uh, But I think this book re-sparked my love of Stephen King when I first read it after a couple years of kind of being turned off from him. Um, Mm. It had been a while because I read If It Bleeds when it came out, which is my favorite short story collection of his. Uh, And then I read this right after it for the first time. And I was like, okay, I'm back on the Stephen King train. Uh, And I think it's because of its themes. Like it just, again, the religious part of it, the falling out of faith part of it, the cosmic horror part of it, and having to decide, you know, am I going to sacrifice myself for this other person to help them heal? Like he does at the very end with mm-hmm. his high school girlfriend that just gut punched me. I was like, Oh Same. my God. And her nurse. Yeah. Oh. I'm glad you oh. brought that up because, um, you know, Stephen King's not like a romance novelist, but I find that he always <laughs> writes about love really yeah. authentically mm-hmm. and very like, it, it kind of gut punches you. And, and I felt that with, with uh, him and, what was her name? Astrid? Astrid. Astrid. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it reminded me in a way of, of 11-22-63 with uh, the English teacher's relationship with... Um, the, the Yeah, with, with the... I forget what her name was. Uh, me too. I can see her face. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it kind of reminded me of that in a way, in, in some ways, just because, you know, the, the theme of love was so strong and, you know, sacrificing... Um, that's, it, it always just like gets you in the feels. I really want to sit down and talk to Stephen King about spiritual beliefs because to me, he always takes the tenets of main, you know, American mainstream Christianity, what they say they're about, which is loving your neighbor as yourself, you know, dying to your self wants and your selfishness and your needs and putting others first he always takes the good side of that and gives it to the characters who are no longer religious or who were never religious to start with. Mm, Yeah. I love that because he's such a like snide way of, you know, sneaky snide way of, of kind of pointing out that it's so silly to think that we're the only people, the only creatures in this galaxy, in this universe who are like, Hmm, I wonder if there's, a God and to think that we somehow have the only answer, you know, to there being, Oh God is exactly like this or exactly like that. And I know I'm getting hella existential, but again, this book just brings up so many feelings related mm-hmm. to personal spiritual beliefs for me in the best way possible. I would pay bukus of dollars to talk to Stephen <laughs> King about this. <laughs> Honestly, same. And I don't know how that interview that the the King Cast guys did with Stephen King didn't just turn up into like just talking about revival because they love revival so much. They've gotten mm-hmm. so many people to read it as well. Oh, that's so cool. Um, 
I'm like, way to stamp on my personal campaign of telling everyone to read Revival Guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> way to stamp on my campaign. But I, I think you just brought up like a really good point because there's also that running theme of loss of faith, like mm. in general, yeah. like in the throughout the entire novel. Like obviously the most obvious one is how many times can I say obvious in a sentence? But um, the one through Reverend Jacobs is that, you know, obviously he goes from my family, like the uh, the very plain journey of like, okay, lost faith in my family. Science is God now. Like friendship with God over. Science is best friend now. Um, <laughs> you I know. that meme. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then it just kind of devolves into like, okay, now we're going to go into occult science banned books by the Catholic Church route. Yeah. You know, and like he lives, he lives so many lives in like in this novel that I feel like it's kind of funny given that he's obsessed with the afterlife and yet mm. he's reinvented himself and he's reincarnated himself several times to the point where what the fuck is his name anymore? Like I keep, I'm like, wait, who are they talking about? When it's like Danny Charles, Mr. Charles, Mr. Jacobs. Oh yeah. Cause he has so many names that he winds up going by That's and right. to be fair, yeah. They're all technically his legal name. He's just doing yeah. versions of it. Uh, they yeah. like at different Charles stages of his. Like, they kind of like represent different stages of his life, almost in a way. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, sort of like back to what you were talking about, like the the religion and whatnot. I, I feel like with what happened to the reverend, like with his family and stuff, and you know, leaving the religion, like that's also kind of like exploring grief in a way too, because losing faith in something like that can can almost is sort of like grief because you've attached your beliefs to something for so long and to no longer have that like that's also like going through the motions of of, of a grieving process and yeah. i mean i've never been religious but um i've always been fascinated by religion and novels like this that explore religion and so to see that i guess devastation in a way I don't know if I'm making sense. Um, no, it, it is really interesting. Absolutely. You nailed it in terms of the grieving process because it doesn't have to be a religious belief. It can be the belief that your parents were good parents and then you go to therapy and you realize, oh, there's some stuff they probably shouldn't have done. And that doesn't make them horrible people or whatever. It's just, oh, I needed to take these rose-colored glasses off. But it's something you've accepted about yourself that now you're growing out of, prying away from. I picture it like a starfish that's holding on to the hull of this great big boat. And it's going through the storm and the storm that's kind of showing that the boat is faulty and it's not going to keep the starfish afloat anyways. And the, the starfish would be better to let go. <laughs> and so then the starfish finally peels off the side of the boat. And it's like, wow, now I'm really tired because yeah. I just spent my whole starfish life clinging to the side of this boat that was like whipping me through the waves and now that I'm settled on the rock, you know, that I landed on, I can kind of, the buzzword on TikTok, of course, right, and across all social media for religious people leaving is deconstruction. I can deconstruct my beliefs. And it's absolutely a grieving process, again, for any belief where you're like, wow, I've made this so much of my life. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not even that person anymore. And I no. think this book does a great job of also grieving past lives and past yeah. selves. Yeah. Um, you know, I just turned 30 last year and uh, it was an exciting time. Like I was so excited to turn 30. And like throughout the year, as I've gotten closer to 31, I'm like, okay, we can stop now. No more birthdays. Like not in like a, I want to die way, but like a let's stop the clock now. <laughs> it's Your 30s slices. just keep going faster, I believe. Yeah, I know. It, it, it does. everyone keeps telling me. And anyways, I say all that to say, you absolutely made sense. I just, that resonated so much. I'm just like, praise hands. Like, yes. Like, this <laughs> is about, Yes, the revival that happens of the dead, as, you know, Pastor Charles Jacobs is trying to prove that he can do with his special electricity, but it's also about the revival of our past selves, the parts that we still need, especially yeah. for me, the, the tenacity of Jamie when he's a little boy, where mm -hmm. he was the rock of the family, even though he was the youngest. Yeah. Child. He was, he was kind of- You know what solidified that for me was when- um, the last day that the reverend, like before the reverend, like le left their town, he goes up and he's like, 
oh, Khan wanted to be here, but mm, like right. he was making excuses for his brother, yeah. which I want to dive into his brother for a second in a minute, and oh, his absolutely. family for a second in a minute, because they're so complex. Um, but he's like making excuses for his family. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of stuff. But he, because he's trying to, like, I, it's weird. I identified with that so hard because, like, uh, not to, like, spill my family's beans on the main. I'm not going to. But, like, there was a time where, like, I was kind of the only person talking to, like, every facet of my family. Yeah. So, like, I definitely had to play that, like, oh, yeah, they, not that I lied, but it's more like, you know, oh, yeah, so-and-so says hi or, like, you know, that's great. Or, like, you know, passing on information, like, stuff like that, like you could tell that he was very much holding that family's trauma like at such a young age like he was able to absorb everybody's trauma all at once and because he was so young he had that blissful ignorance to like the importance of what he was holding on to yeah and like kept that family family together in a sense that no wonder he fell apart and became a drug addict when his life went off the rails uh but we can absolutely talk about Khan too, because Khan yes. represented so much for me, especially when he lost his voice. That yeah. was like, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> he brought up so much with that injury right there, because you not only did you get his personal loss of voice, and then like you know going to a doctor and then being told like, oh yeah, two weeks, and it's like. But 84 years later, still gone. Um, But then the whole, how it kind of derails his family a little bit. You know, they don't have the money because of reasons out of their hands. They don't, to take him to a specialist. Like his family, whose parents were always so tight, like are not talking to each other. Like the imagery in that one scene where he actually does get his voice back because of the little electroshock that he did. The I don't have that exact passage memorized, but I remember it sticking with me, just the imagery of Jamie describing the distance, both physical and emotional, between his parents on the couch. Yeah. Like, I was like, ouch, ouch, that is so vivid. And then doesn't but, yeah. he wind up, he's the brother that winds up being gay, right? Yeah. 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 I do yep. love that at the birthday dinner at the end for the middle brother that he's like, I don't care that Connor's gay. I care that his boyfriend is not really his boyfriend. It's clearly like his sugar baby. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, he's like this younger man is like bleeding him dry. <laughs> Meanwhile, Jamie's just like, I wonder what he would think if he found out I was fucking somebody right. less than half my age. Right. I know. <laughs> uh, it's, God, that just that whole birthday scene really cracked me up because yeah, I love that Jamie's like, oh, I'll DD, like I'll make sure everybody gets from the bar that they all go out to back home safely. Yeah, um, and then Connor's like, yeah, I'm gonna, you know, pick some more people up and and check on my boyfriend. And then the middle brother's like just drunk enough to be like, boyfriend, like, <laughs> don't you mean? Like gigolo, like it just cracks me up. Uh, and there's just so many good moments of levity like that in the book. Um, I think the the best one, in my opinion, is when we're first getting shown, you know, metaphorically, the portraits and lightning, and the girl's oh, yeah. like, "I've never done nothing like this before," and she she's like, you know, so excited to get called up on stage. I couldn't really picture at first what that was supposed to look like because he kept talking about it being like big behind him. Mm-hmm. I guess it was like a gif of a lady turning in a circle with her face on it. I don't know. Maybe I just missed it, but I just like the flash photography it. type yeah, thing, but with lightning yeah. instead of like a light bulb. Yeah. It was very interesting to me. Uh, I don't know. I was trying to think of any other book that that could reference of Stephen King's or, you know, scientifically, if that's been, explain somewhere but I'm coming up dry on that one y'all it was just a very interesting part of the book to me because I didn't know why it was in there (laughs) yeah um I like that we also got um his other brother who didn't listen Andy I believe his name was and he he was the one that was the most religious yeah growing up and like remained religious everybody else just kind of like yeah I can't fuck this (laughs) (laughs) afterwards well, like I can, I can kind of relate to the rest of the family 
because like growing up like um we went to temple every weekend like my grandparents read us like like our scripture and everything and like it's not like so i'm very well versed in it i just the belief part just never clicked like (laughs) that part never clicked for me like you know like a lot of things did in a good way but like not the like i don't I don't know. I don't really like organized religion. I don't, I don't like being told I have to congregate somewhere. Like I'm very much the God is everywhere type of person or like whatever Mm -hmm. you believe in is everywhere. Like there's not just because you built four walls doesn't mean it's there. Um, Jesus lives in your heart guys. (laughs) (laughs) He's whatever you want to be. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But um, I, I, I like that he kept with it and like, he just was, he's the one that was Dr. Phobic and I'm like, and he's the one that ends up dying of like prostate cancer yeah Yeah. and he was also the one that was just like that's not right about connor's lifestyle you know he was always like kind of giving the side eye to connor and i'm like my dude you worry about your lifestyle because it's sending you to an early grave (laughs) yeah um i don't know i i did find it really interesting that all of the people that Jacobs helped wound up having these crazy bad side effects. Um, yeah, that really stuck out to me that it was a blessing and a curse. And again, it kind of goes back to the idea of that forbidden knowledge. Like we're not supposed to know, you know, God works in mysterious ways, but we're not supposed to know how, you know, we're not supposed to know what comes after death and we're not supposed to be able to see behind that curtain. I just, man, the, more he added up all the deaths and the more research Jamie did to point out, oh, this person had all these health issues after and this person killed herself and, you know. This person now eats dirt. (laughs) Yes, it was so interesting to me. Um, I don't know. I could, wow, I could just go on and on and on about this book, you guys. (laughs) No, no, I'm glad you brought that up because I didn't even realize the sheer number of people he had quote unquote cured until near the end when um, Jamie brings up the numbers and not Jamie, uh, the Reverend brings up the numbers. He goes, look at file A, like these are all the people I've, I've cured. This is file B, the people with after, after effects, like, and if there was, uh, and I just stopped checking like eight months ago, I bet you if I check now, like there'd be nothing there. Um, I'm like, are you sure, my dude? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? Like, yeah, it is wild. Um, and whatchamacallit, uh, I also, sorry to go on like another tangent about the Reverend, but I absolutely love that we finally, finally got the true him right before the end. Yeah. Like when he has that conversation with Jamie, when Jamie's like, oh, I remember the first, like, I was just remembering the first time I met you. Like I was playing with the uh, toy soldiers and all I saw was a shadow Shadow. over my, yeah. And he's like, you've been a shadow over me my entire entire life. life. Yeah. Wow. That just like hit me so hard. Cause like, (laughs) yeah, just there's that symbolism like right away that you don't get until like me just right this second where i'm like fuck man like he literally was a shadow over his entire life yeah everything that jamie does is because of the reverend and some yeah exactly that's crazy i mean i he calls him his fifth business which in writing just means like they're not the main character they're not the hero they're not the villain they're there though the whole story and i get shivers when I think about how many situations are like that in real life. Like mm-hmm. who, who is our fifth business that we're not going to know is our fifth business until we're like at the end of our life. Yeah. It gives me chills to think about. Oh my God. Yeah. Now like I'm scared for like <laughs> to find <laughs> out who, who's my, who is driving me? Like who is in the back of my mind right now that like, I'm going to meet yeah. at the end of my, my life or something, you know, like, and, yeah. and you find out they've been there your entire life. life. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> like and the other imagery that they, I think it was the Reverend that said it too. It's like, Oh, we've been like a pair of billiard balls, like knocking oh, against sure. each other our entire lives yeah. as well. And I'm like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, no pun intended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I like that we finally got to see the real him when he was just like, just I forgot what he said exactly, but the gist of it was just shut the fuck up. Like, yeah, 
Like, yeah. Where he was just like, I don't, I don't care what you have to say. This, this conversation has no point. So I'm going to end it right now. Goodbye. Like come rub some Voltaren on me later. Yeah. <laughs> just this nasty old man who wanted this like fairly attractive younger guy to rub his pain lotion in. Like what? And manipulated uh, I, him into like, you know, oh, hey, here's your ex-girlfriend who's dying of lung cancer. Yeah. Who's now a lesbian. Married who's now a lesbian. Her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Who's yeah. married to her caretaker nurse. Though I uh, do have to say his description of what somebody with advanced lung cancer looks like very is accurate. very accurate. Very, right. very accurate. I hate that I know what it looks like, yeah. but it's what it looks like. So reading it, not that I was like triggered or anything like that but it was just more like uh-huh yep yep of course yep that tracks yep yep this person is very sick <laughs> uh well um i'm gonna go ahead and give you guys my final thoughts and then jocelyn you can hop in uh so my final thoughts i'm gonna try to keep it a little bit shorter because i kind of went on my passion <laughs> tangents as i call them with the religious themes and the idea of, you know, what we owe to each other, which I talk about in so many episodes. Um, and we I, love it. I am going to give this uh, four out of five ants. Um, <laughs> it, it's almost a perfect five for me. But again, I wanted a little bit more of the hair. Why the heroine, like you said, Jocelyn, I not that I need things spoon fed to me, but there were definitely some moments where I was like, wait, wait, I had to reread things. Mm-hmm. Um, almost perfect though. I think the religious themes are there. The characters are there. Uh, there are characters of m- every race and belief system in a Stephen King novel that are not problematic for once. <laughs> I know. We, we do talk <laughs> about uncle Stephen being a little problematic on here uh, as we affectionately call him. But yeah, that's my closing. My closing thought is just that this is so close to perfect. And if you are into Lovecraft or Mary Shelley and Frankenstein or existential horror at all, this is kind of a must read, especially post Mm -hmm. early days of the pandemic and how desperate people were for a cure and for healing. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. It's just hit very, very different the second reading, you know, in yeah. 2022. Um, I, yeah, I found myself thinking, like, who, was he going to try and cure COVID with electricity, too? Right. Like, <laughs> just, like, shock you. Um, but, yeah, that's my that's my closing thoughts, you guys. Four out of five ants. Read it. Rate it. Tell us what you think. <laughs> Jocelyn? Yeah, I agree. And I think having this discussion – um, really has helped form more of my decisions as well because I think with a novel like this there are so many things to try and grasp and when you hear other perspectives on it you kind of get a, a better picture and you know for me I really loved the religious aspect of it even though I'm not religious I've always been fascinated by religion and how it impacts people and, you know, seeing people grasping for something so strongly in this and and some kind of belief. It's like, I always feel like there's like a bigger, um, like meaning behind that than like other than just religion. So that's what I really loved about this. I loved Jamie's character story. I mean, it was, there was so much going on in this novel, but it was also like a coming of age story for Jamie because we see him, from six years old till like he's in his like what 50s 60s whatever it is so you just see some of his life and and I always gravitate towards those kind of novels and Stephen King always just nails that right on the head um four out of five ants I agree um very powerful um the kind of horror novel that doesn't present itself as a horror novel but you get why it is towards the end and also I think a very underrated Stephen King novel I mean I know it's got its cult following but very underrated. I've had it on my shelf. I got it from book outlet last year for like probably $7 sat on my shelf. I was like, Oh yeah, I have this novel. I'm so, I'm so excited to read it when Bob and I reach out to me for it. And I'm now I'm just so glad that I read it. Like I'm glad this gave me the push to read it because I might not have picked it up for again for quite a while. So yes, read it. 
Yes, agreed, agreed. Um, to your point, actually, Jocelyn, the the character I find that embodies that religious and like um, how people kind of turn on it and stuff was Jenny's character, which we didn't get to. But mm. read about Jenny's character because when it was when it was a miracle, she was on board. Yeah, but as soon as it was just like, yeah, by the way, fuck God, yay yeah. science, science's best friend now. <laughs> she was like, oh, I don't know. So yeah. interesting take on that one as well. Yeah, but. I think my final thoughts are this is probably the one of the meatiest of Stephen King's novels, despite only being 400 pages. Like mm-hmm. this is probably something where like kind of like an Edgar Wright movie, which if you've listened to this pod, I mentioned it a lot. It's something where you can go back and pick up on things that you missed yeah. and you can go back and it's not going to be the same story because I went back and it wasn't that I didn't remember plot points I remembered plot points but it was the details that like still enraptured me still enthralled me still like lured me in and I'm like oh yeah this is why I love this novel so much like is all this stuff and you can pick up on new things like I didn't pick up on the ant foreshadowing Mm -hmm. until I read it this time you know and stuff like that but I find that you can get pretty much any kind of meaning you want out of it like if you're if you're focusing on focusing in on the religious and faith aspect you've got a whole novel in there if you want to talk about addiction and people's journey with it you know like how i found it was fascinating that like um you know jamie's version of withdrawals were like stabbing himself as Mm. if he was shooting that was crazy yeah right and then like so he wasn't exactly jonesing but it was like his weird version of it because of what in this sci-fi aspect of his cure but um if you want that if you want a coming of age story you've got a coming of age story if you want like you know like uh music music yes that's i agree with you jamie i wanted to dive more into the music part because that was insane yeah he just Uh, becomes this like world-renowned music engineer (laughs) (laughs) what (laughs) like okay in like denver and then like hugh's whole backstory was amazing like he was a part of this major rock band I yeah, know. Like, I love and got you, and got fired because he went deaf. If you're looking for a good movie recommendation, guys, watch *Sound of Metal*. It is about a metal drummer oh. that goes deaf. Oh, and how he does not deal well yeah. with that. I'm yeah. gonna have to look this up. Riz it's Ahmed, so good. Yeah, he's so good. Incredible in it. Oh, yes, yeah. but to come back to my point, there's just so much you can get out of this novel. It's something that like you shouldn't just read it once. Like I'm not even gonna tell people to read yeah. it once. Read it twice. You can find as much as there is horror in this, there is comfort. Um, It's very soothing in a very fucked up way. And it kind of reminds me of something Jordan Peele said at uh, the Wendland Wild Q&A at TIFF, which was like someone had asked him like, oh, you love horror uh, so much. Like even in your thing, even in your comedy and your other genres, you always have a through line of horror. Like, why do you? why do you have that? And I don't have his exact quote, but the gist of it was like basically our theory on horror, which is like that it's inevitable. Horror is real life. Like you can't avoid it. You can't avoid horror. There is horror and everything. And I think in this novel, Stephen King absolutely nails that with like Claire's storyline mm-hmm. and you know, what happens to all these people afterwards. Like, yeah, it was a freaky deaky sci-fi thing, but it wasn't as if they were all, were all possessed by something and then killed themselves. It was all very real practical pieces of violence that could have happened regardless of yeah like something she, happening to them the girl that gets her picture taken robs a jewelry store and that was like yeah. okay bling ring um yeah. but she's i mean her i think her story really i don't know it just stuck with me kathy morris the, yeah of all the characters of the side characters um she really stuck with me me too uh, especially because her dad comes in and tries yeah. to like be like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> what did you do to my kid? Um, <laughs> honestly, I could talk about this book for for hours and hours and hours. But uh, especially because I just finished reading it today. So it's like right there in my brain. Um, but final, final thoughts. I will definitely give this four ants out of five. The only reason I didn't I didn't have one was because I could have done without the whole sex with a... Sex with a younger woman thing because I didn't add anything to the plot. Like they could have really just didn't. been pals. They could have just been friends. Like 
I liked their mission that they had together. I liked their, yeah. their, their work they were doing together, but that relationship added nothing to the story. So I agree. Yeah, that, I rolled, at least it was brief. Like, yeah, you know, right. he'd be like, yeah, and then we had sex. Or like, I wish I had sex with her one last time. It's like, okay, cool, but can we get back to the reference? Oh, yeah. <laughs> can we get back to like the conspiracy theory wormhole we're going down? I would like to go down that <laughs> <Yeah>. hole. <laughs> like, I would like to get my Charlie Day on. Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, that doesn't need to happen in bed. But uh, yeah, that's basically that. And then again, like you two said, I want to know more about the heroin. Like why? Like just add in a couple of paragraphs and tell me why he's addicted to heroin and we're good to go. Like, don't need it spelled out for me, but just, like, some kind of, like, indicator, you know? It's not just him waking up in a hotel room, being thirsty without his pants on. Yeah, uh, exactly. having quit the band the night before. Anyways, like Bob said, I think we could go on a nauseam about this. But, uh, Jocelyn, we did want to give you a chance to let the people know where they can find you. Oh, thank you. Yes, so for people who are listening... You can find me on Instagram. Um, I used to go by Floor by Books, but I now go by uh, The Lit Fic Agenda because I'm a big literary fiction fan, and that's what I talk about quite a bit. So if you're into literary fiction, um, or just any genre, really, I, I don't, you know, I mean, I have my preferences, but, you know, I like to be as diverse as possible. So yes, at The Lit Fic Agenda on Instagram. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We obviously loved having you on. We love this book. Please come back and talk about your next uh, horror read with us. You're welcome anytime. I would love to come back on. (laughs) I I love talking about books and it's been so great hearing both of your perspectives and, and thinking of things that maybe I didn't think of. So I would love to come back on. Yes, please. And I'm sorry about the sirens in the uh, background. <laughs> no, you're fine. That's it's all right. The, the conversation was so fire, you guys. Yes. Uh, they found her. They found her for her hot take about Jason Bateman. <laughs> yeah, that was our hot take. Um, yeah. All right. Well, you can find us as at Bloody Broads Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Also, anchor.fm slash bloody dash broads. And if you would like to email us, you can email us bloodybroadspod at gmail.com. And Bhavna, if they didn't like this episode, where can they put it? In a five-star review. All right, guys. Until next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.